This week's episode of Big Stick Energy is proudly brought to you by ONX. ONX is a backcountry guidebook in your pocket. It is an app that you can download that is easy to use, intuitive, and simple. It allows you to save maps offline and figure out exactly where you are going to go and understand the terrain to make important decisions. I'm really stoked to start using this app when it comes to Canada because something I admitted to myself in 2022 is that I feel nervous making decisions on what terrain we are going to pursue before we get out into the backcountry. Being able to navigate the terrain, to see it visually, and to make those decisions, especially as a woman or any other individual that doesn't feel comfortable in dominant masculine spaces, is freaking crucial. So this app allows you to add another resource to plan your trip process and just make you look like a certified badass to make confident and safe decisions in the backcountry. That is the ultimate goal. So unfortunately, it is not available in Canada yet. They're still navigating some information sharing laws, but it is available in the USA. So all of our USA hotties, go jump on it right now. We have a discount code out of bounds one word for 20% off a premium subscription. And you can head to their website, www.onxmaps.com to get the hookup. But yeah, learn how to plan your trip, jump on the goods and make safe decisions out there. Have a great Monday, everybody. What is up my pals? Hope you all had a great weekend. My name's Renee McCurdy. You can find me at Renee McCurds on the gram and my co-host partner in crime, Tori Anderson at Tori A. Alina. We're two of the five co-founders of the Wumtang brand and we're stoked to bring you another episode of Big Stick Energy on the Out of Collective Network. Don't forget to leave us a review so we can get into more ear holes. Thank you very much. We are only 15 episodes deep into this venture and the learning curve is hella steep. So we're still pretty new to this in the grand scheme of things, and we're always looking to make this show better. So let us know if you have any feedback, any potential guests you'd like to see us interview. You can get at us on any of our social medias, and we have a few to choose from, so the options are plenty. If you aren't already following Wimcork, our meme page, we release memes for most of our episodes there. I like to think that they're pretty funny, but I'm a little biased. So you can decide for yourself. If you're new here, welcome. We're stoked to have you along for the ride. It's a pretty tight, loose program on the Undomesticated Outdoor Podcast. If you've been listening from the beginning, bless your soul. We appreciate the heck out of you. Our guest today, Milena, she is a ski tech and an ex-ski racer turned ski coach based in Quebec, Canada. If you haven't noticed, we love to bitch about everything that is wrong with the world on this podcast. So we figured it was time to offer some solutions. We came up with some ideas to address some of the issues we've identified in this in this podcast and in previous podcast episodes. So it would be rad to hear what you guys think of them. And also for our female identifying and non-binary folks, what do you have for ideas that would make you feel more invited and welcome to the party and any other solutions that you can think up that maybe we could discuss on the podcast or on any of our channels and really help form that inclusive atmosphere for everybody. And for our male identifying friends, it would be really rad to hear from you as well whether or not you've had similar experiences with working in ski shops, growing up in racing or other disciplines that you've competed in, working with brands or coaching the newest generation. We really wanna make this a collaborative effort because no one person is gonna fix anything. So that's enough for me. <laughs> Let's get on to episode 15 of BSE, dropping in three, two, one. Um, hi, uh, my name is Milena. Uh, most, mo most people <laughs> call me Mimi. Uh, my pronouns are she and they, uh, but you go ahead and, and use whatever you like. And uh, yeah, so I've been skiing all my life, uh, really. I started racing around six years old, um, alpine racing, and I, I spent 10 years uh, racing. And after that, I coached for six um, and I started being a ski technician 
seven years ago uh, in a little place called La Chape in Saint-Sauveur in Quebec and sort of kind of making my way through uh, the ski industry and, 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 you know, having fun. I moved up north from the, from the, uh, the, the neighborhood, uh, banlieue, oh crap, from, uh, from the city basically. And, and uh, I never want to go back. Uh, I just love being outdoors in the nature and just skiing. So yeah, that's me. We want to talk about ski shop dish. Like mm. you've got a lot of experience. And I remember we were DMing about some of those toxic cultural traits and in, in the industry. And we talk about that stuff a lot on the podcast, but elevating those experiences and educating people on it's super important. Like since we started the podcast, we've had so many dudes that have slipped into our DMs that are just like, I didn't realize it was this bad and that every girl has these experiences. And yeah. we kind of need to push that on like a broader scale. Like in order for us to see a change, we need to make people cognizant of how those narratives that they're helping kind of fulfill and promoting are, are super harmful. So like, yeah, share, share with us a bit of the experiences that you've had and in, in your past with ski racing and working in shops and let's dissect this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, I, I'm, I'm just going to start uh, with the ski shop and maybe go back to, to the racing experience afterwards, because there's, there's two different things, uh, two different particular things uh, for each. Um, but one thing that I found really cool when I started, because I, I was 19 uh, when I started working at La Chef, and basically I pulled up to this place where I've been for, like, I, I've been ever since I was a kid to get my skis tuned up, uh, and uh, this guy, GF, who owns the shop, he pulls up to me and he says, hey, uh, Mimi, uh, do you want a job? Like, next year uh, we're starting, uh, like, we might need to, uh, some help. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I would love to. I'm 19. I'm leaving my parents' house. So, uh, And he's like, yeah, uh, do you want to be a tech? Like, he offered me a job, first off, not as, you know, uh, a shop floor employee or, or doing the, the the register, which is fine. Like, I, 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 I've I done those as well. And I, I, uh, I do them still sometimes when I, when I go and help out in the weekends. But I was really impressed just, like, looking back at it that, he off the bat offered me a job as a ski technician. You know, I, I had some experience tuning my skis at home. You know, I, I knew how to sharpen. I knew how to, how to uh, wax my skis. I knew a little bit of the science behind it, but I had never touched a machine in my life. And what I discovered that first winter out there is that um, working on machines is hella dangerous <laughs> and it's scary. And uh, if you fuck up, it's well it, best scenario if you fuck up you fuck up a ski worst scenario is you end up injuring yourself and uh, you know it was it was uh, a bit of a of a rough learning curve in the beginning just to like be confident on those machines and like uh, learn also not to be in the way because at that point we were maybe three or four techs in a very small shop and like you had to make sure that the bench was clean all the time, that, uh, you know, that the floors weren't too wet or someone could slip. Uh, the torch for PTEX wasn't on because that was a fire hazard. So you had to be really vigilant and coming on as a green uh, sort of new tech for experienced techs there, it can be unnerving. And my experience with that, I had um, Sebastian Seb, uh, who was the, the the head technician, who was really like my Yoda. He he taught me everything, super patient, uh, you know, correcting my mistakes, always constructive, never negative, and and just like really taking the time to make me, you know, a better tech. But I also had, you know, encounters. I'm, I'm not going to name any name in in that, uh, but you know, I had encounters with other techs that were like you're too slow or like you're in my way or like, okay, move away. I'm, I'm going to do it. Like, and that's also something like you're in a learning position, but you're also in a, in a, in a shop that's, you know, it's rolling. So you have to have a good output, but you don't necessarily have that in the beginning. So it was, you know, uh, insecurities a lot, you know, having, having a hard time, sometimes crying myself uh, to the, when I came home at night, just because I felt like I wasn't, you know, ready or good enough for this but it's all part of the learning curve and honestly i was really really glad and really lucky to have jf and seb that was super supportive and they were there and like really taught me how to do everything 
And it told me also that, you know, mistakes happen. So. Yeah. We've kind of like talked about this concept, like in our episode with Marcus Renee, he brought up a really good point about like, you know, taking somebody new into the backcountry, for example. And if you're always breaking trail for a chick, then she's never going to build up the strength to break trail. It's kind of like making space for them to learn and make mistakes and, you know, like progress at their own rate. And people who are just like, no, no, I'm just going to do this. So they just like discredit you or they push you past. It's like nobody's ever going to learn, right? And like Tang actually had a bit of a tiff, a bit of a tiff with a shop in like the Banff Camor area um, about like, we love going into shops and we love like just stirring the pot a little bit. We're like, oh, does a girl work here? Like, is this happening? And they were like, no, there isn't. And then when it came to them, like actually wanting to, they like the manager just, I think we talked about this in that first episode, but the manager just kind of performatively slipped in that he was looking for a chick. And then when push came to shove, he was like, actually, we're not hiring right now. So it was very performative. He wasn't actually looking to get anybody in there. And we kind of, I had a conversation with him that was like, you know, if you want to have a chick in the shop, it's like, there's not a lot of girls with those types of skill sets. So you kind of have to invest in them. And I was willing to yeah. put myself out there to help like them get up to snuff. And Renee's grown up working in shops as well. And like, it is super freaking intimidating not being able to like, yeah, I cried a lot at my job in New Zealand after. <laughs> It's just because of how dudes treated me, like customers and staff. It's freaking bullshit. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, it, and Tori even like gave them someone that was ready to apply. She had a name and was bringing it to them like, okay, I found you someone. Let's go. And then they're like, oh, actually, no, just kidding. I don't think they did. That... Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. It's uh, it's hard to know like when to speak over Google Meet sometimes. <laughs> I struggle with that a lot. But it's like, they were like, yeah, we're like looking. I was like, okay, sick. Like I'm on this. Let's go. I was like, this is literally my bread and butter. This is what I was built for. And they, yeah, it was bad. Yeah. But I was going to say one of the, uh, one of the arguments, which is a shitty argument that I've heard many times, like, well, there's no good, there's not a lot of good girl techs out there. And like, I've heard a lot people say to me like, well, you're good, but like you're you're unique. Like you, there's there's not a lot of you out there, and in a certain way, it's true. Like I haven't known other ski techs in my area except for uh, the the the. There's a young girl. Uh, she, I think she's like 16 uh, over at Lashup. Who you know she's been there for two years, and we train her. And I really want her in the back. And like I've been, I've been, uh, I've been uh, really ad advocating for her to to learn as I have because I want us to have a bit more presence in there but like that argument is shit of like there's no good girls out there like anybody who starts isn't going to be immediately good you have to train these people like you take two kids there that are 19 one that's a boy and the other that's a girl i know it's very binary but just for the sake of the example here and i have a feeling well, not just a feeling. I've seen it happen uh, in, you know, in, in shops and, and, and around me. Like, you're going to trust, I think, the boy more to know what to do because stereotypically they're more handy and they, they, they would be like faster learners in, in a shop environment. Whereas you look at a girl and you're like, well, maybe, she, you know, she hasn't toyed around with, with tools. Maybe she doesn't know. Maybe she doesn't have that much experience. We're not going to bank on her. We're just going to put her at the register or whatever. You know, but both people are starting at the exact same point. Yeah, like what you said, Tori, like you have to invest. That's 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 the main thing. Like when I started, I didn't know shit. I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to how to drill a ski. I didn't know how to uh, I, I didn't even know what uh, what was the you know, the pattern on, on the base of the ski, the structure. I didn't even know we had a structure on our skis. And, you know, it's stuff that you learn. It's stuff that you have to be in there and you have to, you have to trust them to, to learn that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I know even for myself, and I think I said it in that first episode, but when I worked at the shop, I was also a bit of my own enemy in that whole gender stereotype, internalized misogyny world yeah. is that like, I went to get my skis mounted the first time and the boys were like well you should just do it like we'll show you how to do it so I, they showed me how to mount skis but i always like i think they would have taught me anything i wanted to know but i was my own worst enemy 
in stepping into that place and like getting more work in the back and working on bikes and working on skis like I could have done a lot more if I had also like put myself in that position because I was in an environment where they would have supported me in it I like absolutely know that with the guys I was working with but I know that like I also held myself back a lot so it goes like both ways part of it is that like it's so awesome that you had that support and they were able to put you in there and support you mostly yeah <laughs> and you're learning <laughs> a few people also parted you in your learning and got you to where you are where now you can turn around and train this other girl so then yeah. she'll maybe like do the same thing and it's kind of like what we saw with Nat where they had one girl in the shop and then that girl taught her and then now they're teaching another girl and they've got three girls working as techs in that ski shop now. Yeah. But it all starts because you were brave enough to do it and someone was also like willing to just put you in there and not subscribe to that. Oh, we should just hire another dude for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's important to like, like we actually, our last episode with, um, Katie Burrell, which was so fucking sick. We were kind of talking about how, um, oh my God, I did the thing. I lost my thoughts. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> See ya. What the fuck were we doing? Oh, I remember. Sorry, I'm back. Okay, we're okay. Um, we were talking about uh, like our model in Wumtang and how we want to like change the industry. She thought it was really interesting because she was like, it's cool because like the industry is such a small part of these broader problems, like socioeconomic problems. And she was like creating like this, uh, this kind of like format or like this ability to change the industry it could be applicable externally and she thought that like what we came up with um was from like an internal analysis but like all of my studying and like gender studies like my personal investment in like understanding social justice issues and then noticing patterns and how it's applicable in different spaces um i actually study things on like a systemic kind of national like capitalistic colonial level and then was able to apply similar concepts into the ski industry and the outdoor industry because it is a masculine dominated privileged uh and like heavily capitalistic space and yeah. it's really important to kind of analyze those connotative and denotative aspects so like connotative like the color red denotatively is the color red it is exactly what it is but connotatively you might associate with things like stop or anger so you're applying emotions to it on a broader level anything that we assume about somebody's gender presentation or their capabilities is what we've been taught so they're connotative associations right mm -hmm. so it's really interesting to see somebody that's like no like this woman would be weak here this woman would be this and like why are we connotatively assuming that femininity equals weakness that presentation in any capacity means you don't have that technical ability to like do something like that. And that's something that we need to unpack in the industry because realistically you cannot assume what somebody is capable of by looking at them. And in yeah. the industry, we have this idea that being feminine in any capability determines weakness or a lesser ability. And that's like, that's fucked. And that's what we need to <laughs> Sorry, just straight up. It's like, why? Well, it is. It is. And like we talked about this and like, like, you know, in the concept of female athletes, men can just ski and they get shit. They get opportunities. Yeah. That's all they got to do. And then for women, like when I've had meetings with brands, it's like, well, what are you going to do? You're going to like write blog articles. Are you going to like consult us on this? Like, do you have to do all this extra shit and burn yourself out and then also have a full-time job? Because no, we're not going to pay you, but we're going to pay this guy who's doing like way yeah. fucking less. And it's just like, they're so privileged and they don't even freaking know it. Yeah. I it's funny oh, that you mention this. But it might be so easy for them to get sorry, I'm interrupting you. <laughs> I'm on this point that is just simmering up in me. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. But then those same people will be like, oh, it must be so much easier for you to get a sponsorship because you're a girl. Oh my god, this makes me want to scream so bad. Oh my god. I I mean I okay, it's funny that you mention it and you mentioned that in particular. Um my my boyfriend uh you know he works uh you know in the, he's been in the ski industry also and he's also a ski tech and yeah you know he's 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 got friends that are you know pros and and uh one of them um do you know Maudremont? she's uh she she's one of her uh, of his good friends and like 
you know, she, I, 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 they were talking about, you know, producing uh, content, I think. And, and she was saying like, you know, I've been doing all of this on my own for years. I've been, you know, planning shots. I've been uh, doing montage. I've been coordinating all my shit on my own, running, at, running after sponsors, running after money. And, and she's been doing that and she's been working so hard. And I was telling her, there's a guy probably out West who skis half of what you ski and is just being given shit. Like, it's it, it, there's a there's a big inequality there like the the, the girls that you see they're going to be living off of their skiing or they're they're going to be sponsored and everything they've worked really hard for this all the girls that i know that 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 have been that are in this situation they're always like i'm exhausted you know i'm running after sponsors i'm you know i i'm trying to get you know content and pour pour out stuff and all the guys that i know that have a sponsor like that they, they get a free pair of skis free pair of boots every year they're just like yeah, yeah, I have a deal uh, that 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 reps a buddy of mine, and like he gets me free shit, and I'm like, oh, well, it's that easy. Okay, 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 that's fine. I'm not mad. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh for sure. And just like this isn't even anecdotal. Pink bike. I know this is mountain biking, but same concept. Yeah. They did a survey for a bunch of pro mountain bikers, men and women, and they surveyed them on how much money they were making, and it was so clear that there's this very obvious glass ceiling for the women in that in that sport and skiing same thing i can like almost guarantee it but you would see the exact same thing and i wasn't going to say it but i have a story to tell <laughs> fish so Spill i won't tea, honey sorry <laughs> i won't name the company but you can go back in my instagram if you want to figure it out and sleuth it it's fine <laughs> i'm intrigued that was a seek and destroy. Anyways, continue. <laughs> Honestly, it was, yeah. So I, I had a sponsor and they gave me free gear for the year and I was stoked. I had like just, just changed this company and got a bunch of basically what was empty promises. But the end of the year came and it was rolling into the next year and I messaged the rep that I was dealing with and he calls me and he's like, oh, sorry, you know, like, we won't be able to give you anything next year. Like I can just give you a pro deal. That's it. And I was like, Oh, okay, well, whatever. And he says, you know, I just, I just don't have any results. And I like, <laughs> when he said that, I was like, are you for real? I listed off everything I did and to make it worse. I went back and I looked in my messages and I had told him, Hey, I'm filming for this movie. It's going to be in ski festivals. I, I have a part in it. We're doing the film trip at this time. Like, just, just so you know, like this is when it's happening. Oh, I got invited to Kings and Queens of Corbett's. I got injured, so I didn't go, but I told him like, Hey, I didn't get any support for that event. And I couldn't go cause I, I dislocated my rib and got really sick and all sorts of stuff. But it didn't work out. Also, they waitlisted me. That's another story. <laughs> and I was sitting in second in North America going into that season in the competition rankings. I was coaching every weekend. I worked at a shop that sold those skis, that brand of skis, and I was selling so many skis of that brand off the wall. So by the end of the season, even though it was COVID, that yeah. shop had only two or three skis from that brand left. And that was before anything went into spring sales. So that's like pretty good. Yeah. to sell all those anyway so this is i'm going off this list everything that i've done i shot photos i was in their catalog for the distributor and stuff in their gear and shot for the resorts my, like resort photos and he's like oh wow like you did actually do a lot i'm like i know like i told you everything as i was doing it like you just have to go back through your texts and then i find out from the boys because i'm a bit of a shit disturber I asked one of the guys, so how much did your skis cost? And I had switched to a different brand at this point, but he said, oh, I just got them for free. And I find out that all the boys that coach for the local clubs still got free pair of skis. And I didn't. And I was like, you look at the list of everything I did. I was literally in a movie. And you won't give me a pair of skis? 
Yeah. What? I know. <laughs> anyway, that is my point to just like drive this home. And I, the, and he, and he was like, you'll be fine. You know, this pro skier that's on this brand. I was like, she's not giving me free skis. You are. <laughs> I know. I like, I really realized that deficit when I was having meetings with brands this year. And I was like, you know, like personal circumstance, I just finished university. I'm super burnt out. I have some really like odd mental health struggles right now. And I was like, I want to do all of these filming projects and shit was really hard for me last year, but I was like, realistically, I don't think I can like with my mental health, I need to step back and like reconsider what my values are. And like me being honest about that. And then like, they're like, yes, we still want to be with you, which was dope. I really appreciated the support, but like what they offered was a lot less. And then I went back and I looked at what I did last season and like I skied in a commercial uh, with Sherpa Cinema for Lake Louise. And I thought it was just shown in like the Alberta area, but it was actually played at like premieres of the Banff Film Festival and in other places all across like BC, like on a full tour. And there's keen shots of like, you know, and like I was like uh, my my following grew by like 3000 people extreme exposure everybody was asking me about this product like all of these things and I was just like even though like I wasn't trying to do anything like I still did a lot yeah but Fuck. yet there's people who like are doing the same amount who got offered more than me in like a renewed contract and I was just like why is there a difference here and I was like maybe I like really put myself under the bus by being honest but it was like I, I should be able to be honest and not have that discredit what I'm capable of doing or like, you know, like not diminish those kind of results, I guess. And I don't know. It's very weird. It's weird. feels weird. I don't like it. It's like not, yeah. it's the freaking pay gap, but product. And we need to get away from product anyways, but here we are. Yeah. Anyway, prime examples. <laughs> Tally ho. <Anyway. laughs> Oh man, I, I remember once going to like a, a preseason showing of, uh, and uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna talk about the brand, and I don't want to discredit the rep. He's an awesome rep. He's give you know he's uh, given me good deals and and good skis uh, all all the time that I was with them, and he's really really cool. And it's definitely not something that's from him. I just want to make sure. Um, but I remember going to a blizzard, uh, you know, preseason. Uh, kind of like meet up whatever and me and my best friend we were the only two girls there and it was like a, a just okay well we're all the people are on the uh we're all the ambassadors for the next season and there was a ratio of like two to what 15 maybe i was like okay well that's not a lot of representation it's a bit it sucks you know that it's just that's all you got but but yeah but it's not like I love Blizzard and the rep's awesome and it's definitely not, you know, it's just, it's the whole thing that's got to change. It's the whole industry that, that's got to change. And we have to, we have to put these issues forward so that, you know, people take notice and, and, and that it changes. Yeah. I think that like, you're a hundred percent right. And we've talked about this a lot in Wombtang, like the community is kind of leading the demand right now, which is dope. And to see how much this movement has progressed in the last like year is so influential. And it's, it's like really motivating all of the Wombtang co-founders and Renee and I to kind of like keep doing what we're doing because it's not always easy. Um, publicly disturbing the system <laughs> and calling out stuff. Yeah. This shit gets heavy. And then like we get DMs where it's like, yo, this is fucked. You guys need to jump on it. And we're like, I actually don't have the mental or emotional capacity, but like it needs change so bad. So the more people yeah. that we get advocating for these things and the more attention we bring to them and the more structural changes we see in like a shop level, training level, all those kind of things are going to be crucial. So like one thing that we need to start doing is figuring out how we can change this. So like from your experience, Melina, and then like Renee and I can jump in as well. What are some things that you think would help change those cultural flaws in the shop? Well, I think maybe just on, on a, on a technician standpoint, maybe just like uh, giving a little bit more visibility to the youth about, uh, you know, uh, what being a technician is, uh, how to tune skis. Like for example, uh, we do we do these uh, we call them clinic um, these these sort of like sessions uh, usually with uh, ski racing parents to show them how they can tune their skis at home usually so they can tune their kids skis 
And I know, I don't know how like the clubs uh, out West do it, but most of the time out here in, in, in the Laurentians, it's like the parents, the parents, usually the dads learn how to use the equipment and learn how to tune their skis. I think we should bring this over to the kids instead, you know, teach the kids how to tune their, their skis. So they get that experience early on. And, you know, they, when they, they decide that they want a job, you know, they, they leave home, whatever, and they started, they're starting out. Well, they already have this knowledge and they can just come up to a shop and say, like, listen, I've been tuning my skis ever since I was 10 years old. Uh, I've never worked on machines, but I'm eager to learn. And I already have like this, this, this knowledge. So, you know, uh, you know that I'm capable. I'm going to be learning fast. And that way, you know, when we're talking to kids, instead of talking to uh, dads, uh, it's not as... Uh, How, how, how would I say this? It's not as um, discriminating, I think, because you're going to have the girls and the boys that are both racing. They both have the same uh, expectations and the same needs. So if we're just teaching that whole band of kids, then they're all going to have equal experience or, or sort of. They're all going to start from the same footing. So I think that could be one way and definitely another way. It's just always to uh, foster, you know, I'm gonna say this sounds kooky. Foster youth, uh, just in the sense that um, we need, you know, old techs and 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 uh, the guys that have been there since forever. We need them to be open-minded about the fact that if you want new staff, you're gonna have to teach them. You know, so make make uh, teaching more available. You know, have uh, I don't know if Wintersteiger can have like these these sort of sessions uh, where like even even if you're a shop floor employee, if you can just learn how how I don't know the mercury mercury works, like just standard things, then you already have that knowledge. Whether you use it or not, it's there. Because right now, this knowledge is kind of like a sacred thing that only ski techs know. And it's, I think, so guarded because of the, you know, obviously, like I said earlier on, it's it's dangerous uh, to use these machines if, you, if you're not able and you don't want to fuck up a ski. But if you're not touching them, and, but you just at least know how they work, well, you're already better off in that way. If a, if a client comes over and asks you a question about it, even if you're not in the shop doing the skis, you can, you can answer. So I think we, yeah. we have to, yeah. Yeah, we just have to stop like looking at it as some some kind of sacred knowledge that you have to be initiated into. Yeah, you have to so. stop gatekeeping knowledge. Yes. That's exactly it. And you need to stop like yeah, that's like one of the key factors of our mission and something that I've identified in academic research. Um that's been like the academic research that I've done in increasing accessibility to underrepresented groups and like how do you shift popular culture? How do you create a more inclusive space, right? And yeah. part of it is like increasing access to resources. So like education, funding, opportunities, like all those kinds of things. That's like a core fucking pillar. And that's what we're all about in Tang. And I think the aspect of like teaching kids at a young age how to tune their skis. Like I know a lot of girls who are young who knew how to tune their own skis. But like I grew up in a family where my dad's like an old school ski racer, but I didn't actually learn how to mount my skis until last year with like his guide. And like it was actually so fucking cute. I was like, dad, I want to learn how to mount my skis. And I was like, I want to make a reel about it. So I made a reel and the the opening is me being like the Meg Thee Stallion opening. It's like, sorry, I can't talk right now. I'm doing hot girl shit. And then it goes into her <laughs> song and it goes from me looking like all good, with like cardigan, full makeup to me, like drilling my skis and fucking mounting them. And I was like, that is hot girl shit. But it's like most girls don't think that that is something that will make them feel empowered or sexy. It's just like this masculine thing and they're scared to step into it. I was like, defy the system. Being that type of person is hot it. So we need to get that like information into girls' hands. So I think that is so freaking crucial. It would honestly be sick if we could do like a female ski tuning class or ski mounting yes. class and partner with love that. through our ambassadors all across the country. Holy shit balls. <laughs> oh my God. Sorry. <laughs> I just had like, I just, <laughs> you just, beer, you just had a mind blown moment. You just had a, a big brain moment. Yeah. But I guess that's okay. not, like that. I guess we're like brainstorming live right now. <laughs> Holy guacamole. I love this. Yeah. One thing I was going to say is what is also really sweet is that we had Nat on for her first episode to just introduce this idea. And then now uh, this is like 14 or something. But either way, 
like, again, now people who have started to listen to us and are tuning in and these shows get quite a few downloads. So that's a lot of people that are going to be listening in and thinking, oh, like maybe I could do this and maybe they'll apply for the job next time too. And that, that helps as well. So if, if we can run at some of our locations, a little bit of a, a intro to ski tour tuning, for girls that want to learn a little bit how to do it themselves. I think like that's the truth is that you just are like scared to do it. Like I have a snowmobile and I was like trying to diagnose what why it wasn't starting the other day. And it's like having all the tools is one thing. And some of the stuff I just am like, I can't do it because I just don't have the tools to take this all apart. And then you have to have the knowledge to do it. But none of it is very hard. You just have to do it once or twice before you can do it all yourself, you know? Yeah. Like someone shows you and then you try it yourself. And then once you've done a few times and you're good, you can just do it yourself from there on in. But you need that initiation, that like little bit of help to get started a lot of the time and to get more comfortable doing it. Yeah. Especially because I think the first time is always a bit terrifying. Like I remember when I mounted my first ski, I was so afraid. I think it took me like 45 minutes just to mount it. And, you know, it's not something that's supposed to take 45 minutes, but I was sweating. I was shaking the booth uh, for, for mounting skis was, was like in front of clients also. So that was bad. But yeah, uh, yeah, you have to like kind of cross that first barrier of being afraid. And obviously you're not going to want to cross that if the people that are supposed to be teaching you are just looking down on you and telling you like, you're doing this wrong. Uh, you shouldn't be doing this, that or you're too slow or whatever. So take 45 minutes to mount your first pair of skis away from customers, preferably on an old ski, like once the, the shop is closed and with people that are not going to be putting you down. Yeah. You know what? There's so many like just crap skis at random thrift stores or like even if we could create like a donate bin, like I am so hard on my equipment and I definitely have two pairs of skis in the garage that I've taken bindings off of that should not be ridden by anybody. But those would be <laughs> great demo skis to teach girls how to drill, putting the glue in, don't strip the screw, all those kinds of things. Like what does it mean to tune an edge? Like you know, doing a P-Tex repair, like how do you fix a delamination in the toe? Like there's so many different things. And I know like growing up as a chick, I mean, I feel like my dad kind of had the show don't tell or like just do it. He was like, I'll just do it. Like, I'm just going to do yeah. it. I'm not going to take the time to do it. And as an adult, I'm like, can you teach me? Like, I want to learn this. And it's like, that is the type of energy that we need because the more that we as a group of individuals invest in those types of skill sets, the more there's going to be like, you know, like we have to push for the drive too, but it's also really intimidating to step into those spaces confidently. It's mm -hmm. so fucking scary. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Every single step of the way, everything I learned in the shop, every time it was my first step, I was so scared. And sometimes, you know, you spend some time away from that work and you go back to it after a time, some time has passed and you're scared again because you're not used to doing that. Like I used to, I used to pass skis on the stone uh, back when I was a, a ski tech and I wouldn't touch it again now because it's been too long, but yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And shops yeah. definitely have those skis lying around too, because people will oh, yeah. break their skis and then buy new pair of skis, get it remounted, but they'll have their like old beat up ski and they just don't even care to take it home. So there are skis lying around sometimes that you can practice just drilling into. It exists. 100%. Okay. Yeah. We, yeah. Yeah, we should move on to ski racing because let's talk the tea. But I have two questions for anybody listening, and I want to know. So please DM Renee or I or Woomcork or Woomtang with your reply. Boys, men, dudes that grew up with male privilege in the ski industry, did you feel nervous walking into these spaces? Did you feel like you didn't belong? Like, did you feel like kind of sketched out when you're learning all these new skill sets or where did you learn them? Was it just inherent in your upbringing in the ski industry? Like, let us know because it wasn't our experience and it'd be interesting to hear if it wasn't because maybe this is an assumption that we're making and maybe it's something we need to look at on more of a broader level. But man, that is our lived experience. And number two, my ladies, would you be interested or female identifying people, non-binary, just you know, non-included 
people, would you be interested in a course where you got to learn how to tune your skis, where you got those skill sets? Also let us know because we're pivoting Woomtang and coming up with new offerings for events and products and like, let's go. This is market research. So yeah. <laughs> Anyways, ski racing. Ski racing. Yes. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. There's some layers there. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot of layers, um, especially since, uh, you know, I'm, I come from my family. We've all been skiers. Like my uncle's been uh, racing and he was my Yoda. Like he, he taught me how to coach and uh, he's always been, uh, you know, very influential in my, in my ski development. But I come from, you know, at, well, back when I was racing, my family was pretty much blue collar. I mean, my mom had me very young and my dad, my dad's an immigrant. So when I was young, we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, we, you know, I grew up in a, in a four bedroom, well, not four bedroom, but a four room apartment. We call them Katidmi, uh, four, four and a half rooms. Anyway, um, just, you know, showing that, you know, we didn't have much money but we may do, you know, and I never like my parents were really good for that. Like I, I never needed anything. I always had, you know, what I what I had to have. I didn't feel like I was missing anything in my childhood. I would say up until the time that I started racing um, and that when I talk about that, when I tell the story, it's always like I didn't know I was poor until I started racing. Um, because I'd never felt poor until I started racing. And that was a big thing. Um, you know, I was getting bullied just because I didn't have, you know, brand new skis or brand new apparel and all that shit. And that's really when you see like the difference in privilege in that kind of environment, because, okay, let, let's talking about privilege. I'm going to acknowledge my own, like I'm a white a uh, North American girl, like I do have a lot of privilege. I am not starting at the bottom like many other, you know, uh, people, many other uh, marginalized communities. I do have a lot of privilege. But in that situation, you know, being side by side with kids that their parents were millionaires and my parents were like barely scraping by and like putting themselves in debt just so I could ski and just have like this life that they wanted for me. And it it made me you know feel inadequate for so long and i you know eventually i got over it because you have to but i remember a, a funny kind of story i was coaching i was maybe 17 or 18 years old and you know we we didn't have a we didn't have a cabin we only had our apartment because we, we we didn't have enough money for a cabin and uh i was coaching and usually i would do like laval chanticleer which was about an hour every morning and every night, like going back to the city. And one weekend I was like, fuck that. I don't want to do that. So I turned over to my friend who I raced with and was coaching. I was like, hey, uh, can I crash uh, at your cabin for the weekend? Like it's on the hill and like I won't have to get to get up stupidly early tomorrow. And she's like, sure. Yeah, you can crash. Don't you have a cabin? I'm like, no, I don't have a cabin. And she puts her hand on my shoulder and she goes, poor you. <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry that you don't have a second house. Okay, oh, yeah. there's there's a sound also trending. I consume a stupid amount of content, just so everybody's aware. <laughs> but it's it's like this Bruno Mars song. I have no idea what it is because I don't actually like Bruno Mars. But it's like this bitch. I would have been like, excuse me, like this. No. How dare you? <laughs> you know, from from her, I don't think it came from a bad place. I just, I just like because I I can see the difference. Like I I was with really shitty people growing up, and some of them, you know, were okay. But I don't think I don't think she was being shitty in that moment. She was just being kind of clueless. But yeah, it was it was a pretty funny thing at the moment. I was just like, yeah, poor me. I don't have a cabin. Whatever. Well, yeah. Isn't that the truth? Like if you have privilege, a lot of time you don't even see it. It's literally yeah. a pillar that I've studied in my like gender studies classes is like, <laughs> yes, you're unable to see inequality. That is like key pillar of having privilege. Yeah. Cause you live like that. Yeah. They've never experienced anything else than what they have. 
Yeah. For the people who are not looking at the video, I was just putting my hands on the side of my eyes. Blinders. I call it like, yeah, blinders, like for horses. So, yes. Yeah. 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 There's, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was sort of my experience uh, growing up uh, in ski racing. You know, at one point I even changed mountains because, you know, I wasn't feeling like I was part of any group, any gang, because I didn't fit in. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have anything to offer. And that was, that was a big thing. You know, I was I like, I was a problem teenager, honestly. <laughs> um, I, I got into trouble. Uh, you know, I, I started smoking. I, I was, you know, I was, I was really not doing well for many, many reasons, not just skiing, but I felt like this sort of like bad girl persona kind of like being like the troublemaker and being like kind of rough on the edges was the only thing that I could offer because I didn't have a, you know, I didn't have a cabin. I didn't have a spa. I didn't have cool shit. I didn't have money. So like the only thing I could offer was being like this fucking troubled kid who can get you beer <laughs> and who can get like, I don't know, cigarettes at a party and shit like that. And my parents might be listening to this. So I'm going to keep it as PG as I can, but uh, yeah. So it, it it did play, you know, a lot into how I was as a teenager, just this persona of, of yeah, getting into trouble. And I, you know, I, I hadn't really had the opportunity to look at it this way until I was coaching myself. And uh, I was coaching kids that were like six or seven years old. And I had a really cute team. Like I, I, I love my kids and I still talk to most of them and I still talk to the parents and like they're they're really awesome and i had this this little kid that I, I i'm super friends with his mom uh his name is jesse and he was six years old when i first started coaching him and his parents like kind of same story as mine uh his mom had him really young working class parents uh so you know first season he was with me he had borrowed skis uh, he wasn't you know he didn't have money in his pockets like like all the other kids on the team and I remember there was an altercation where one of the other kids, uh, uh, you know, got mad and started calling him poor and like being really mean to him. And that's when I realized that kids don't really know the concept of being poor or being rich. Those are words that come from their parents. Like that's that's when it hit me that like what what I was living through when I was a kid was because that's what the other parents taught thought of my parents, of my family. Because I look at a six-year-old and I'm like, you don't know what money is. Like, you, you don't have this concept. So you want to be mean. You tell him he's poor because you know that that's something that's bad because you heard it from your parents. And it shocked me because I know these parents and, like, I talk to them and they're nice. They're sweet, everything. And, like, how? How can they be that way in front of their children? Like, it it starts from there i think there's something really really unhealthy with this because uh, it, it goes from parent to children it's like it's like it i don't know <laughs> yeah i agree i actually um this girl erica she's freaking dope she's in uh like pink world um that kind of crew and like their movie release but she posted a story the other day she was like i'm back coaching teaching like the youth of tomorrow how to be like respectful and xyz and i think having like those influential people in skiing that's outside of like that parental kind of influence is huge like we we kind of talked about um growing up with my family like my mom is a professional athlete my dad was a professional athlete when he was younger and you know, having skinny privilege has been a huge thing in my family. Like I don't have to do anything. And I just have very zero, like very low body fat. And I remember being at the grocery store with my mom when I was a kid and she would, you know, she's always been very self-conscious. Like if she doesn't work out for one day, she immediately is worried that she's getting fat. And then she pushes that judgment and like mirrors it onto other people's. So, like if we're behind a family who's shopping and they're purchasing like Coke, Fruit Loops, chips, she's like, oh my God, they're so overweight. They're so this, like, that's disgusting. They need to work out more, like just so much fat phobia. And it's like, I grew up being very concerned about how my body looked because of what I was taught by my parents. And that's also what I mean by like that connotative, denotative, like association thing that we have in our heads. We are not born understanding these lenses of the world. We are taught them, right? 
And that's where you need to analyze how popular culture is shaping those perceptions and what we need to do to change it and why it's problematic. Part of it is recognizing this problematic and stepping out of your privilege to identify and view and understand other people's perspectives and lived experiences, which is very difficult for somebody with privilege because they're like, well, no, you just need to work harder. You just need to do this. You need to eat less of this. And it's like, no, look at the systemic pattern. Look at how it influences each other. Nothing is singular in its effect. And that's something that really fucking pisses me off about privileged people. Sorry. In nursing, we call these things the social determinants of health. It's very wholesome. And that's literally how they started your nursing education. You have to do a whole freaking class about the social determinants of health. And these things are like how much money you have, where you live. Um, Like it it goes through everything that could possibly affect your health. Have you been exposed to trauma as a child? You know, like these are the things that if you were to go into a place that has a big homeless population, so many of them have probably grown up in poverty, maybe with parents who are also have addiction issues or they've endured some kind of trauma over their life or when they were younger. And these are backstories into how you can end up that way. It's not always just, oh, they're lazy or they didn't try hard. Like sometimes you just have everything stacked against you that it doesn't matter what you do, your chance of failing is just so much higher than the person next door. That's literally the definition of systemic oppression. That's it. It's the same thing as like girls not feeling comfortable stepping into masculine spaces because the odds are stacked against them for somebody assuming their ability, assuming their like interest in doing something or their capability to excel in doing something purely because of their gender, which is completely out of their control. That is literally the definition of systemic oppression. Yeah. Yep. Shit's yeah. fucked. And shit's just to edu- fucked. Shit's fucked. And just to educate everybody else further, marketing seeks to manipulate these aspects of our identity. They Marketing seeks to like emotionally resonate with individuals and to meet different fundamental human needs in purchasing products. So like the whole concept that a woman's identity is rooted in her physical appearance and that is what she has to offer and they're supposed to be soft and meek and not as capable as men and not doing XYZ. You have been taught to believe that. And the more that you start to understand that and unpack it, the more that you can see it in messaging and in narratives that you see in characters. And when you start to see characters that disrupt that in TV shows, like all of that influences the way that you perceive the world. And everybody seems to miss that when they make these assumptions about people. You're not inherently born with these ideas and perspectives. You were taught them exactly like you said with the kids being taught by their parents. It also has to do with the culture of their environment. So start unpacking those and questioning why you see somebody like this because your view is not definitive of who they are. Yeah. Damn, that was like inspirational monologue. (laughs) That is like a 6.4 beer influencing my words, my language. (laughs) That could be like a conclusion to a thesis or something. Like I should have written that down. (laughs) Well, you can listen to it again. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Good thing we recorded it and it's going on the internet because jobless. But I mean, we're not going to change parents, right? I I wanted to ask, yeah. like, what could we do to shift it? And I think people stepping into those other critical roles, like coaches can have huge influences on people. But coaches also have to step in with like those educational moments and not just let kids run amok. But I also know when parents are not around, kids run the most muck. Like listening to little gremlins at the skate park saying things they I should they should not know or oh, say yeah. when their parents are not around. I'm just like, it reminds me of being a debaucherous youth. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, that, yes. But luckily, segmentation research on psychographics, behavioralistics of those younger demographics, they are growing up in a different time. And most of them are kind of landing in the middle relative to like sociopolitical views and like environmentalism, all that kind of stuff. So they are much more progressive than previous generations. And that is due to an increase in access to information, resources, broadening your perspectives, not just growing up a privileged white kid through ski racing and doesn't know anything else about the world in your fucking cabin. <laughs> so funny. Sorry. because Tori said that. Well, no, but- he's 
in a cabin. I'm in a cabin. That was easier. You're in a cabin. I'm in yeah. a cabin. I'm I'm actually <laughs> studying right now. Um, uh, this is this is written in French, but it's it's uh, communication law. Oh yeah. Yeah, and communicate because I'm I'm doing my my bachelor's in in comms, and uh, I'm actually on the 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 chapter about you know the right to to knowledge and the right to access to access to information and and technologies and it, it really goes into that and like it's it's already part of our of our our legal system and yet like you're still gonna have. Um, these don't have you're still gonna have like the those blockages because you know you can't make it law that everybody should be able to to know how to ski but it's all of these little subtlety subtleties that you that are gonna create a blockage like all these privilege issues like for example skiing is is not cheap it's super super expensive so like I, I'm one of the exceptions that I had, you know, a family with little means and I was able to do that. But that's because like in my family, we already had skiers. So it was already part of like our family culture. So how to make this accessible, how to 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 make this scene is, well, obviously you're not going to be able to to like reduce the price of gear, but maybe you can create more opportunities like for, for children to get into these, these sports. You can create like... A program to, to to like teach kids how to ski and and see if they like the sport and then then there's financing options so we can like because and and sorry I'm I'm going off subject a little here. There's also an issue with um, professional athletes in, in alpine skiing in Canada. Honestly, I think our professional athletes are, are kind of like left in the dust a little. Uh, I've known girls that have well people that have gone to the Olympics that have gone on world cups and they had to finance their, their career. Like it's not, it's not a gauge that you're going to be making money or people are going to support you just because you can get into the Olympics or on the world cup circuit. Like in Canada, you have to have money in order to, to race at high level. Like you can't do it if you don't have any. How much do you think it costs a year to race at high level? Oh my God. Um, I heard word from racers that I know about 35,000 a year. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. why I wanted to bring it up is it's a, it's a lot. Yeah. Cause you have to take in consideration there's gear and there's your coaches you have to pay. There's uh, your, like you have to pay for your fees card uh, for your races. Uh, yeah. You have to like, there's so many fees, honestly, it's, it's crazy. You travel travel yeah accommodation when traveling if you're to do like a full budget analysis you've got gear you've got food you've got gas um you have ski lift tickets passes club registration fees there's yeah. so much and then there's also the social tax like you might not be able to afford some of those extra amenities or like commodities when you're out on the road, but doing so helps with your social status. So you need to look at the impact of that as well and being able to present. And it's like exceptionally complicated and privileged. It's very like, yes, shit is complicated. Yeah. Yep. And ski racers don't have just one pair of skis. Like if you do like big mountain comps, you can get away with just having one pair and you can do mm -hmm. it. It's fine. You're, you're good. You got a pair of solid skis. But if you're a ski racer, you have like five pairs of skis. <laughs> Off the bat, like uh, I don't years race, old, I could be wrong. <laughs> no, no, but you're totally right. Like starting off at nine years old, well, maybe ten years old. Off the bat, you have to have a GS pair and a slalom pair. You're ten years old, and you already have to have two pairs of skis. And with the slalom, I mean, maybe not, maybe ten's a bit early but let's say in u12 like 10 11 you have to have your bar for slalom you have to have a separate pair of poles with cups on them you have to have shin pads uh, there's a skin suit also like those are crazy expensive i don't understand why because they're basically a bathing suit for your entire body it shouldn't cost like a thousand bucks like it i i don't understand so all that stuff that you have to get that's crazy expensive and you start being this much of an expense at 10 years old it's crazy but yeah this is why like man children just in, <laughs> inside is weird outside is complicated like it just keeps on going it's just a freaking 20 year old expense and especially if they're talented like cheese and rice what are you gonna do but uh yeah 
I hope this was like insightful to anybody listening about that inside analysis of being able to do some of these things because like, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. The ski industry is weird. It is not just skiing. It is very political in a sense when you start to look at it through an academic and analytical lens. So yeah, let's unpack that shit and get more people into it because realistically that will create a sustainable industry and future for us, which will be freaking dope. But um, beautiful sport. It is a beautiful sport. I slash pow all day today and I regret nothing. It was fucking fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. And also like if people have ideas for how to make it affordable for more people, absolutely. We want to know. We know it's expensive. Maybe to you it's obvious that it's expensive, but I didn't realize how expensive ski racing was until someone told me because I didn't grow up ski racing. I wish I did because my skiing would be way prettier than it is (laughs) but any extra help we can get in people who have ideas of how to make it less expensive for the kids who might not grow up with parents you can just spend 30 grand a year on skiing because that's not a lot of people it is definitely not a lot of people a side note i just snorted and my microphone (laughs) was not muted i do that when i laugh sometimes so anybody that heard that i apologize um (laughs) On another note, yeah, Renee's giving me the disappointed mom face again. <laughs> you um, could have just ignored it, but whatever. I just somebody's gonna hear it in the background and they're gonna think it's a toot or they're gonna think it's something else. I don't know. It's pretty identifiable as snort. Um, but yeah, we're we're always looking for ideas that can help us kind of innovate and progress the industry because that's our next level with Wombtang is like creating those product offerings as events, like, you know, the community, and then also pushing on the other side of the value chain. Like we need to see innovation and change happen authentically and actionably from popular culture leaders like businesses. And we have talked about this previously and it is so fucking crucial. So like businesses need to get on this side. But, um, you know, we're really good at talking about this shit because, dang, it's what we're all about. And unfortunately, we do have to wrap up this evening. So, um, Melina, do you want to – or Mimi, sorry. Um, oh, anyone's fine. Do you want to – like, this is your time to kind of plug yourself. Any, like, people you want to, like, be like, yo, thank you, or brands, where we can find you, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm definitely going to plug uh, uh, Nordica. Uh, because I started, uh, you know, I got a good deal with uh, my friend and, and uh, Nordica rep, uh, Shal. And uh, they're a really awesome brand. I've always liked them. When I raced, I was on them. And they were kind of like the, they were kind of like the underdog at that time. And I, w- I always liked that about Nordica. So definitely Nordica Ski, thank you for my awesome Santa Anas. Uh, they're really, really awesome. And um, I also want to plug in Lasha. Uh, at Lasky Shop. Uh, it's a little shop in saint Silver in Quebec. Uh, we like to do, to do good tune-ups and, and, you know, give you a warm welcome. So you can, you can hit those up. And I remember that you, in previous episodes, I don't know if you still do that, but you asked us to kind of like uh, get like three um, accounts, I think, from like uh, women-owned or like minority-owned or like uh, kind of like elevate uh local and 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 organizations like that so i have i have my three fuck yeah Um, (laughs) uh, they're they're all pretty much in french so um they're gonna have to be written somewhere but the first one is fades in all which translates into girls of north uh girls of the north and it's it's a really cool you know kind of like sisterhood of of uh, girls just like enjoying the outdoors uh, all around Quebec, uh, all around the, proven- the province, because it's a really, really big province, and just kind of like elevating, you know, outdoor sports, winter and summer, and and kind of like raising up that sisterhood of, of outdoorsy women in Quebec. And um, there's another one called Vieille Po, uh, but Po is written P-O. Uh, Vieille Po, it's, it's kind of like a, a play on words because it's, uh, it literally translates into old skin. Which is kind of like slang for like ah, you're you're like an old, you're like an old dude, but it's it's uh it's a club for 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 ladies who go up skinning, you know, for for ski touring. So, les vieilles peaux, uh, they're really really awesome. And I also want to plug in um, my neighbor, 
who's uh, really cool. As she started her, her business um, during COVID, she makes these writer hoods. Uh, I don't know if you, you've ever seen one, but it's, it's, it's just like a hood, basically, uh, that you can wear for skiing or snowboarding. And she, she makes them all by hand, custom. They're really cozy and super cute. And uh, so that name is uh, Deck Ring Skateboard, uh, Deck underscore Ring underscore Skateboard. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I might write those down for you. Um, but yeah, those are my three. Yeah, we can include those in the show notes for people who don't speak French. Yeah, <laughs> I understand what you're saying, but it <laughs> <laughs> doesn't mean everyone else is going to. So if yeah. you send those to us, we'll write them out for people. So it'll be in the show notes. They can look it up. Yeah, I will send <laughs> they, those to you. <laughs> the way that you said that was so like down though like doesn't mean everyone else is gonna know i was just like oh my god somebody needs to like this girl i'm sorry and she needs I'm to go sorry to bed. that you're not bilingual but yeah sorry uh, sorry for my english uh, i know it's very bad uh, i am trying <laughs> I'm all like Le bon qui qui. I don't know even know what that means <laughs> I just work here <laughs> Sorry, everybody. It was, a, it was about time that he had someone from the East Coast, uh, the Frenchy East Coast, uh, on the podcast, just to mess things up a little. Yeah, we'll probably do it again. But um, thank you, everybody, to tuning in today. I hope you had a fantastic Monday. And I just wanted to invite you to leave a review. Give us a five star. It can be like, man, I'm not into this shit. Or if you are super into it, let us know because the Out of Bounds Network is dedicated to progressing this mission for a more inclusive industry. And the more this sounds dumb, but we all know algorithms are a thing. But the more reviews that we get, the more that this information is going to get pushed up the feed across all of the Out of Bounds Network shows. And that means we're just going to evolve the movement and help increase access to resources and knowledge and get people stoked on this stuff so we can see these changes actually happen. So leave us a review. Good, bad. We want to hear your thoughts. Spill the tea. We are all about that. And we will see you next Monday.